such a cash system is going to disproportionately help um, low-income families and families of color. For people who want to learn more, where can they find Our Children Oregon? Yeah, you can visit our website at ourchildrenoregon.org or follow us on social media as well. Any final thoughts you want to share with us regarding the state of Oregon's children? I think from everything that we've talked about, from mental health to also the addressing and improving the economic well-being of families, to also even our, I touched on a little bit, but climate change as well, ways that we can really support families is that we're needing to meet children's basic needs. Children need that solid foundation, quality healthcare, quality education, stable housing, food, and financial stability. We need to pass policies that center children and put children at the forefront. These are so essential to ensure that all children, regardless of their race, regardless of where they live, have the resources they need to thrive. Well, Ivy, thank you very much. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to Policy for the People. And please don't forget to support KBU's end of year membership drive. Support independent radio by becoming a member of KBU today at kboo.fm. What's up, everybody? This is Goddess, this is Goddess and She, and you're tuning in to KBOO Portland. Holla to girl. This is Joseph Galvan. I'm your host for Art Focus. KBOO Community Radio is only possible with your support, so join the party and contribute at kboo.fm slash give or text KBOO to this number 44321 that's kboo.fm slash give or you can just text KBOO to the number 44321 thanks a lot Andy Warhol looks a scream Hand him on my wall Andy Warhol silver scream Can't tell them apart at all Hey yo, this is Clipping You're listening to KBOO Good morning and welcome to Film at 11 here on your community radio KBOO Portland Today, on a very special Film at 11, we celebrate the 60th birthday this week of the James Bond franchise with a special look at From Russia With Love. Come in, Kronstein. Sit down, number three, while we listen to what number five has devised for us. According to your instructions, I've planned for Spectre to steal from the Russians their new lecto-decoding machine. For this, we need the services of a female member of the Russian cryptograph section in Turkey and uh, the help of the British Secret Service. Naturally, neither the Russians nor the British will be aware that they are now working for us. Number three, is your section ready to carry out Kronstein's directives? Yes, number one. The operation will be organized according to Kronstein's plan. I have selected a suitable girl from the Russian consulate in Istanbul. She's capable, cooperative, and her loyalty to the state is beyond question. And you're absolutely sure she believes you're still head of operations for Soviet intelligence? It is most unlikely she would know I'm now working for Spectre. Moscow has kept my defection secret from everyone but a few members of the Presidium. For your sake, I hope so. Kronstein, you are sure this plan is foolproof? 
Yes, it is. But what makes you think that M, the head of British intelligence, will oblige you by falling in with your plan? For the simple reason that this is so obviously a trap. My reading of the British mentality is that they always treat a trap as a challenge. And in any case, they couldn't possibly pass up even the slightest chance of getting their hands on the lector decoder. True. What else? As an added refinement, I think that Spectre will probably have the chance of a personal revenge for the killing of our operative, uh, Dr. No, because the man the British will almost certainly use on a mission of this sort would be their agent, James Bond. Let his death be a particularly unpleasant and humiliating one. Good. I shall put my plan into operation straight away, and there will be no failure. And now in our book corner, we're going to be discussing in exhaustive, if not exhausting detail, the second James Bond movie from Russia with Love, because there is now a brand new book about the movie that's part of the British Film Institute's film classics series published by Bloomsbury, and it is the first time that this series, which is over 200 volumes now, has taken on a Bond movie. They've done other popular films, for example, The Quatermass Experiment, The Thing from Another Planet. Which Thing from Another Planet? The Carpenter Thing, and uh, numerous others. Once again, welcoming Matthew of Cabo's monthly short story show, Gremlin Time. Hi there. This is very exciting. It gives some old validity to all those who love the books and the movies made from them, and really sets this movie forward as not just a sociological event, but also as something that shows very good filmmakers figuring out how to hammer out a really entertaining movie at a time when they don't quite know how to do it. You know, there's significant differences between Dr. No and from Russia with Love, and then by the time they get to Goldfinger, they've pretty much got the formula down, and henceforth, there are great fluctuations in the movies. You know, the Roger Moore years were kind of be often awfully silly, and then there's the darker Bonds, like Timothy Dalton, and later uh, Pierce Brosnan. Brosnan has always seemed to me more of a throwback to Roger Moore, but without the silliness. Good it's a, point. It's a good book. It's really well written. The author, Luella Chapman, teaches at uh, East Anglia, and she's written about, in previous books, about James Bond, gender, fashion, and identity. And she's married to a fellow film scholar, and his book is coming out sometime this year, or maybe it's already out, is on Dr. No, but from a different publishing firm. So they're kind of cornering the market on James Bond inf information from a serious academic viewpoint. Getting Bay suggested that you see him before going to the hotel, sir. Would that be convenient? Fine. I suppose it's customary to have people telling you in these parts. Oh, yes, sir. Today it's Citroen H31854 on duty. They're Bulgarians working for the Russians. They follow us, we follow them. It's a sort of understanding we have. It's very friendly. Like the other BFI books, uh, Chapman uh, starts off uh, explaining why she's interested in this movie and gives a nice story about uh, being shown this film first by her dad uh, on a, a VHS tape that he had recorded off of television and showed it to her and her brother. And, and uh, that goes into uh, an explanation of why this movie is, in, is important to make a book about. Then a history of the production. And we learn how um, 
Broccoli and Saltzman came together. They had, were independent producers with their own companies throughout the 50s. And uh, Bond, or Fleming was trying to uh, sell Bond in the movies and no one was really interested because they thought that this sort of thing was just B-movie stuff. Broccoli approached him first, but he couldn't make the luncheon. And so his partner, Irwin Allen, uh, gives that same uh, line about, well, we don't think this is really uh, good material for a movie. And, you know, <laughs> and, and so this is Fleming. Telling Fleming this, the yeah. guy who's written, you know, seven of these books. Fleming uh, goes into this in her book, and so we've got these two independent producers. One gets the rights, and the others has the connections. And so they come together with a company that they call Eon Productions, and they begin to uh, produce these Bond films. Now, one of the connections Broccoli has is to an executive over at United Artists, who was a close friend of uh, President Kennedy's. And Kennedy had said to him that they would really like to see a movie made from uh, Fleming's novel, From Russia With Love. So there's a bit of incentive on United Artists to do this, as well as the two men who are producing in England and, and making movies in different locations around the world. And so Chapman really gets into how the production uh, came together and became the, the movie that we, we know and love today. I've never even heard of a Tatiana Romanova. Ridiculous, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. Of course, girls do fall in love with pictures of film stars. But not a Russian cipher clerk with a file photo of a British agent. Unless she's uh, mental. Mm. No, it's some sort of trap. Well, obviously it's a trap. And the bait is a cipher machine, a brand new lector. A lector, no less. The CIA's been after one of those for years. Yes, so have we. When she contacted Kevin Bay, head of Station T Turkey, and told him she wanted to defect, she said she'd turn it over to us on one condition, that you went out of Istanbul and brought her and the machine back to England. Here's a snapshot Kerry managed to get of her. Well, I don't know too much about cryptography, sir, but uh, Alecta could decode their top secret signals. The whole thing's so fantastic, it just could be true. Hmm, that had occurred to me. Besides, the Russians haven't been up to any tricks recently. Well, really, I'm not too busy at the moment, sir. You're booked on the 8.30 plate in the morning. If there's any chance of us getting a lector, we simply must look into it. Suppose when she meets me in the flesh, uh, I don't come up to expectations. Just see what you do. Yeah, well, also, you have, one has to acknowledge that content of movies post-50s kitchen sink era are starting to loosen up a little bit. You know, we're on the eve of swinging London, and so you've got the introduction of non-marital sexual relationships and jet-set people and the indulgence of liquor, smoking, fashion, gambling, and some of the other elements that pop up into the, the uh, movies as much. And then also, at that time, the height of the so-called Cold War, you've got global uh, anxieties about things. And then here's a action hero is helping to save the whole world, not just a little section of Africa or or some part of the Civil War. It's saving the whole world, and it reassures you. And also the integration of humor. You know, James Bond is a witty guy. The whole series is a humorous relief from the real world. A lot of what is in the Bond films is established here the scenes at the M's office, the introduction of the gadgets. Q branch has put together a smart-looking piece of luggage for us. We're issuing this to all 00 personnel. An ordinary black leather case. 
with 20 rounds of ammunition here and here. Now, if you take the top off, you'll find the ammunition inside. And the side here, flat throwing knife. Press that button there, and out she comes. Inside the case, you'll find an AR-7 folding sniper's rifle, 0.25 caliber, with an infrared telescopic sight. Exotic women dancing in the background of the title sequence starts in this one, and not lots of other stuff as well. And she goes through this in the book. There's like the part where the movie, the deal is made, and then the script is written, and there was a, and she points out that there was a woman who started uh, adapting the book for the screen, and then she was. It, then when the director came in, he started changing all her stuff, and she just decided to move on. And it was actually the last woman to be a screenwriter on the Bond films until the world is not enough. Yeah, Phoebe, Phoebe Waller Bridge. Yeah. So um, lots of great insights in this book that uh, gets us to think about the movie. One thing that came up in there is about the use of Spectre and not the Soviet Union as the villain. Even though it's in the title, you've got a, a book that was written in the late 50s and the world situation had changed by, <laughs> what, 62, 63. Right. And they're aware of that and using the villains that are already established later in the series and bringing them in earlier. So you have this convoluted plot, this honey trap pot where Spectre wants to discourage both the Russia and Britain by setting up this honey trap where this woman wants to defect and take a valuable decryptor just if she can like sleep with James Bond. And, <laughs> well, um, also, you know, it took a little bit of finessing to erase Russia from, from the script. And at the same time, uh, another pretty good decision either by Len Dayton, the novelist who worked on the script or a subsequent guy, uh, Maybaum, who uh, inserted some movie tricks, for example, Robert Shaw as Red Grant, who's one of the other villains and whose job it is is to kill Bond <laughs> on a train. He, uh, instead of just appearing at the very beginning of the movie and then at the very end, he, she points out that he shadows Bond throughout the movie to create the sense of there's a confrontation coming. And in fact, a few times he saves Bond from being killed by somebody else because he wants to do it himself, and also it would ruin the plot that Spectre has initiated, which is to expose Bond as a traitor of some kind and embarrass the British and American and the Russian secret services. Now, there's been brought up in the book, and she covers it by uh, certainly Pauline Kale, who brought up, oh, this is like North by Northwest. There's trying to the there's a climactic sequence. It does something that they do now a lot in um, modern action films. We have a number of action sequences just blocked up one after another. Right. Long sequence with the train, then they escape from the train, and then they're chased by the helicopter, and then they get on the boat and they're chased <laughs> by more boats. And so it builds up to a big spectacular end, but that's not the end of the story. There's still one last surprise that's left at the end. Um, and so the pointing out the helicopter sequence, I think it's just, there are two different types of movies, North by Northwest and um, From Russia with Love, in the sense that 
in North by Northwest, it's a question of identity. Do you intend to cooperate with us? I'd like a simple yes or no. A simple no. For the simple reason, I simply don't know what you're talking about. Here's a regular man. He just holds his hand up to get the, the boy who's calling out a message uh, attention so that he can send a message. But somebody looking at that thinks, oh, he's responded to the name that we had the boy call out. This must be the spy we're looking for. And in the course of the story, Cary Grant's character doesn't sleep with the Eva Marie Saint character until the very end of the movie. You know, the train going into the tunnel. Okay, Hitch, we got the joke. <laughs> oh, whereas... For Marshall with Love, it's all about the sex. That's true. I mean, it's, it's the honeypot plot. He does go along with it. I mean, at one point he says, well, uh, you know, if she's not as attractive, am I going to be as attractive to her? And M says, well, you better be. And, <laughs> and, and so then they, and then they're being filmed in the honeymoon suite. And that's what's going to uh, discredit the, the Secret Service and the Russian Secret Service because there's this, They'll be murdered in the bed as a suicide murder pact or something like uh -huh. that. And yeah. actually, it's granted. And so, uh, you know, it's all about a plot within a plot, but then it gets down to a woman in distress. Because here's, I mean, the gal is just working for the embassy and they like put her into this plot where they're going to murder her at the end anyway. And so here, this nice woman in danger sort of thing. So it's, it's two different types of movies. You know, yeah, they might have the same suit and they may shoot a scene that's maybe similar to the way Hitchcock does. Well, I think we should track the lineage a little bit because Hitchcock in the 30s was drawing upon the James Buchan novels and some of the other thrillers that had been well, published. Well, he did an Ashington uh, movie, Secret yeah. Agent. That's from uh, Mom, and that's very influential on Ian Fleming. Right, and so he's got the... Uh, he's got the market so to speak on that kind of uh a world traveling action sequence filled adventure story with spies etc uh and he improves it over the years he refines it for at least his own films such as the man who knew too much and then culminating with north by northwest which has a lot of really clever tricks in it essentially that kind of story is a british story and so when Ian Fleming comes along, who's a writer positioned between the more child-oriented, uh, boy-oriented James Buchan books and the distressed and rather acerbic and grim John le Carre and Len Dayton, you know, uh, kitchen sink style spy stories, you got right in the middle Ian Fleming, who has taken that template too of a world traveling spy who encounters lots of different people. Well, he's, Fleming is obviously also combining uh, Sapper's uh, Bulldog Drummond and Sax Romer's uh, Fu Manchu novels. And uh, into, uh, what is it? It's like, uh, they're like these highly detailed, tightly plotted narratives of intrigue and suspense. Uh -huh. <laughs> Fast moving, action oriented plots and international villainry, just to quote from the book. Yeah, now, we're we're talking about uh, this new book about uh, From Russia with Love by Luella Chapman, uh, very nicely researched and uh, very well organized. Like the other BFI books, at first she justifies why we're talking about this movie and this book, and then she goes through how the production came together, and then she has a description of the movie. But also she adds about the merchandising, the selling of the movie. 
and not just posters, uh, you know, put up in Piccadilly Circus. We're talking about all sorts of toy gadgets that began to appear with this movie. That's right. There's a puzzle, uh, a a um, jigsaw puzzle. There are uh, books reissued, the whole series of books. Um, there was the soundtrack album, so you could listen to the music. You know, often I think you made this point a couple of weeks ago that one of the great things about a soundtrack album is in the days when you couldn't get access to the movie the way you can now, you listen to the music and it reminds you of the scenes that you enjoyed. Particularly, it's not so much helpful to read the book because sometimes it's so much changed in the screenplay. Uh, unless they're doing a novelization from the script. Oh, I got to tell you, read the ski chase scene in Honor Majesty's Secret Service with some of that John Barry music going on, and it really worked. Okay, good. <laughs> and uh, I would say also that um, one of the things that she does in the course of the, of the critical study part in the middle of the book is to point out how thematically cohesive it is. She follows certain motifs such as mouths. There are lots of close-ups of mouths talking, particularly of uh, Tatiana, and then uh, a mechanical mouth uh, figures in part of the plot when one of the villains is trying to escape his apartment by climbing through a sign that shows uh, a, a, a big, huge billboard of the actress from Call Me Buona, the Bob Hope movie. But that they also, produced, Saltzman produced that. Exactly. And so that then there's also the motif of voyeurism, which makes sense if you're making a spy movie. People are always watching people. They're being looked at without knowing it, most principally in the bedroom scene where the bad guys at Spectre are photographing the lovemaking of Bond and Tatiana. So, so um, not knowing who people really are, uh, voyeurism, uh, certain sensual uh, motifs, all tied together very well in a screenplay that is a lot tighter. I mean, you would think it'd be chaotic from the story that she tells, but uh, visually, the, the, the these motifs hold the movie tightly together so that you know, you know, you've got all these different modes of transportation and you've got the recurring setup of somebody spying on somebody or watching them all the time the way that red grant is always watching bond without bond knowing that he's there and so on so uh she's very good at at elucidating some of these themes that give you a richer uh enter a, a richer thematic and much more entertaining uh a feeling of the movie that's really accomplishing something now, I noticed how, like we've said in the past, how the story is can be told with the objects. We've got the decryption machine they want to get. But then at the start of the movie, in the first of the what we recognize as the meeting, uh, meeting in M's office scene, uh, which I saw a, a movie called uh, Texas Jones or a Buck Jones movie where he's a Texas Ranger, almost has the same scene. He will talk with the secretary, banter with the chief out on the mission. So here we've got this in the Bond movie, which I'm probably going to cut that out. But in the beginning of the Bond movie, we're introduced to the case and the different uh, traps that are in the case and some gold coins. And then there's a 
rifle butt, but that's really a sniper's rifle hidden inside that you assemble. And so we're shown that right at the beginning. And you always and, know in a Bond movie that that stuff's got to get used. But exactly. some, sometimes as in Goldfinger uh, and the car, it all gets used all at once, and then the car is destroyed. And so you, but, but there, we use the rifle to kill the guy coming out of the uh, movie, the mouth. Exactly. Yeah. But then later when he's trapped by Grant, he uses all three of those things to get back at Grant and finally overpower him. And then when they're racing away, he's holding onto the case, he's holding onto the girl, and he's holding onto the decryptor. Uh -huh. they're, they're first in a truck, and then they're chased by the helicopter. Well, he like runs off and he gets the rifle out, the sniper's rifle. And so everything's neatly placed. It's like he, he's able to take down the helicopter with the weapon that he has on him. Again, something totally different than the Cary Grant movie where he was just sent to this place and Hitchcock didn't want to film it on a street corner and decided to film it out in a cornfield. And you know, he just was using his imagination to, to break the formula. Whereas here, it's just, you know, we saw the helicopter earlier in the on Spectre Island. That's how Rosa Klemp got to the island. So we that know they have a helicopter. So everything is like introduced and then reused. Well, that's to, I think a valuable lesson that the movie teaches. Uh, don't introduce an object and never use it again. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> keep, keep keep your mind on your objects so that the story makes sense and there are no loose ends. But as we see as the series goes on, they start to rely on that way too much. And so what the Promotion with Love series does, it grounds this series so they can always go back to that. So after You Only Live Twice, which had all sorts of gadgets and Connery quit because he felt that the thing was going to be more about gadgets. Then you had more of an interpersonal espionage story in uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And then they slowly crept back to the gadget and then they went back and then, you know. So finally, you know, these Daniel Craig movies that have come out, they really, uh, they've gone back and looked at what was in From Russia with Love because at that point, they really didn't know which way this series was gonna go. Yeah, I know. Well, um, we've only got two minutes. Let me do the closeout now, yeah. just to get it out of the way. So we've been talking with Matthew of KBOO's Gremlin Time about Luella Chaplin, Chapman's New British Film Institute monograph on From Russia with Love, published by Bloomsbury. Okay, that's the end of that. All right, so um, yeah, and I think that um, one of the things that she does in the book is make some pretty good argument against, you know, in the Hitchcock Truffaut book, Hitchcock dismisses From Russia with Love as an empty gesture that just mimics his movies. But I, she, she makes a nice little case for how well integrated the helicopters and some of the other modes of transportation and the, the chase sequences yeah. are integrated into the story much more than Hitchcock will allow, maybe basically because he's a little mad <laughs> that, that they just blatantly ripped him off. But at the same time, as we said earlier, Bond is part of a long tradition that Hitchcock is also a part of yeah. that stretches back to the turn of the century. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, I guess we'd better wrap this up. I got a minute and 17 seconds. Maybe I should stop uh, recording now. Okay. All right. So I'm stopping.
You're listening to KBOO Portland. KBOO Community Radio is listener-sponsored. That's right. 80% of our funding comes from donations from listeners just like you. You can always make a donation to help keep KBOO independent and non-commercial at kboo.fm give. Right now, during our end-of-year drive, is the perfect time to contribute. Give now and help us reach our goal of $70,000 by December 31st. Make your tax-deductible year-end donation at kboo.fm give today. Hi, this is Walt Perizzato with the group Chicago, and you're listening to KBOO-FM. Has the future of the intelligent machine arrived? Already, machines can produce uh, music in the style of Bach, which experts find hard to discriminate from the real thing. 